This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Good Tuesday morning. This is Coach Jen in Ocala, Florida. And I am Christy Landwehr from Aurora, Colorado. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network. Excuse me. For this Tuesday, January 18th, 2022, we are episode 2852. This episode is brought to you by the Certified Horsemanship Association. Good morning, horse world. Houston, we have a problem. Ability equals skill plus knowledge. Feeling about this. Here's a safety tip for you from the Certified Horsemanship Association. Missed it by that much. How can I change this to make it better the next time? Help you, I can. Yeah. Time for Training Tuesday on Horses in the Morning with the Certified Horsemanship Association. Well, welcome back, Christy Landwehr. Once a month, Christy Landwehr stops by here at Horses in the Morning, and we geek out on all things riding instructor, which I think personally is unique in the equestrian podcasting space. I don't think there's anybody else that does a podcast that focuses on being a good riding instructor. I think that's good. And I think we always mix up our terminology. You know, we call ourselves trainers and in other countries, they don't. In other countries, instructor teaches the person on a qualified school horse and a trainer teaches the horse. Yeah. And I think that Interesting. it's important to differentiate the two because it's two different skill sets. Some people have really good skill sets in both, some one or the other, but they are two different skill sets. Training a horse and teaching a human are different, and teaching a human on an untrained horse and teaching a human on a trained horse are different. So, ha! hello. <laughs> Your level of difficulty increases with one, for sure. <laughs> Exponentially. <laughs> But, you know, it's all about the risk and how much you're willing to accept. There you go. Well, we always take this part of the show to catch up on what's going on at the Certified Horsemanship Association. Say that three times fast because you guys, <laughs> you're a busy group. You've been around since what year? 1967. You've been around for a while, so you know your business. Yes. What's coming up with the CHA? So we have so many certifications coming up right now. We have our instructors for riders with disabilities. We have our seasonal equestrian staff, day ride trail guide, English Western instructor, and equine facility manager. So hop on CHA.horse if you want to audit a certification to find out more, if you want to dive right in and get certified as all those things I just mentioned, um, or just to find out more about who we are. But we were just in Fort Worth in November for our conference, and I just want to start talking about the one this year because it's open to everyone listening. And what differentiates our international conference from others in our space is that you get to ride a horse. The school horses are going to be provided this year by Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, which is a 45-minute drive from the Nashville airport. So there'll be some fun things to do in Nashville while you're there, and it's going to be October 20th through 22nd in person in October. So we're very excited about that. Woohoo! You get to meet actual human beings in person. Oh my gosh. Yay. And our Fort Worth one was good. We get we did that one in person too. And we ended up with uh, 200 of us there. So it's a, it's a fun event. So just wanted to share that. And then just kind of think about diving on our website and seeing about what our certifications are and how they might be useful to you. There we go. And there's a certification for such an enormous variety of job descriptions. It's actually, I think, a useful resource for somebody who's going, you know, I'm passionate about horses. I love doing horse things. I want to work in the horse industry. It's an interesting place to go there and look at the different certifications, what skills are required to be certified. Might give you some really interesting insight on where exactly you might fit into the horse industry because there's a million and one jobs in the horse business. And we all think of trainer, right? A horse trainer or a riding instructor. But it 
it's a lot more in depth than that. So it might be a really great resource for somebody who is looking at maybe going to trade school or maybe uh, just getting a job straight out of high school or taking a gap year. Really good resource. Jen, that's a really good point. And there's skills lists for everything that you will be certified on. Um, just an email or a phone call away. We can send it to you if you're interested in being a participant in something. Or you just want to do what you said. Know more about it. That equine facility manager one, for example, has things like trailer loading, poultice wrap, taking a temp, doing all the other vitals on a horse. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot out there to look at and to uh, dive into. There we go. And today's topic, we always have a good topic to chat about. And some that I never even thought I went, oh, what a great discussion point. Never thought of that. Today we're talking about finding good horses for your riding instructor program. And what there's usually some kind of a seed or event or happening or something that happened in the past that cues you to have these topics. Was there something that inspired this one? Yes. So we have found right now, much like it is in the cat and dog world too, horses are hard to find. And this is not only for those of you that are looking for lesson horses or dude string horses or what have you. It's also for those just looking for a horse to ride. The prices have gone up. Um, there's just not as many available. They just seem to be going like hotcakes. So just kind of thinking about, you know, creative ways to find good horses and then to avoid burnout in those horses, especially in the lesson program world. Um, if you don't have a good schedule for those horses, they can get pretty burnout. And people think, oh, maybe not in therapy, they won't get burnout. And that's a small part of what we do, but we do that as well. And no, even when they're just doing walk lessons with two sidewalkers and a leader and the person on top, that's a lot of stimulation for that horse. So they all need to avoid that burnout. So we'll be talking about that as well. You know, never thought of, again, you got, you guys make me think when I do these shows. It, imagine a human being with a really, I'm going to use my air quotes, easy job. Let's say your job 40 hours a week is to be a bagger at a grocery store. Pretty simple stuff. There's not a lot of stress there, not a lot of responsibility there. Pick up the, kick up the carton of milk, put it in the bag, put it in the basket straightforward. But if you had to do that for 40 hours a week, uh, week in and week out, and not have any other, anything that you did besides go home and stare at four walls, you'd be burned out in pretty short order. Correct. So that kind of makes sense that if you have a horse, regardless of what kind of lessons they do, if that's all they do, you're going to have um, if nothing else, mental burnout for that horse, which of course um, shows itself in physical ways. The horse lets you know he's feeling burned out by becoming bulky or nippy or sullen or whatever else. So this is going to be a very interesting topic. I'm looking forward to hearing what our guests have to say. Me too. There we go. And before we get to our first guest, I want to mention our advertiser, our sponsor for today. And our sponsor for today is Horse Report System. Equestrian professionals are busy, really busy, keeping client and owners abreast of training progress and updating care teams on care plans takes time and plenty of it. That's where the concept of Horse Report System originated, a centralized system that could help busy trainers easily communicate with their team and with each horse's owner about training and health needs. Horse Report System is robust. Based on input from professionals at the elite level of equine sports, Horse Report System includes everything a busy professional needs to keep their horses in top form and their owners engaged in a horse's progress. And Horse Report System is in continuously evolving to provide equestrians of every level and every discipline with the most convenient and user-friendly way to provide optimal care for their horses and easy communication with their team. You can learn more or sign up today at horsereportsystem.com. We are so excited to have our first guest on the show today. Her name is Patty Bogart-Head. She is a CHA certifier and has taught and trained all seats for over 50 years, including English, Western jumping, trail, gaming, side saddle, and worked with gated horses. She has lived in Maui, and she now resides in Washington <laughs> State, which is quite the jump there, Patty. So welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Tell us a little bit more about owning horses on the islands. Did you feed them hay? How did it all rock and roll? 
Well, everything has to be shipped in. Um, the only hay that's because you have the dry side of the island and the wet side of the island. The dry side of the island, you could grow hay and irrigate it, but the water's so expensive, it's not going to make it cost effective. On the wet side of the island, it grows the hay really well, but it rains all the time, so there's no time for it to dry out. So most, um, 99 and 10 of the hay is shipped in. They do, like I said, grow a little bit of the grass hay for the cattle because it's not so important that it gets dried 100%, I guess. I don't know that much about cattle. <laughs> um, so everything is shipped in, and most of the time it's little uh, comp- compressed bales. So like a bale that you would get that's, what, two or three feet long or more, uh, we compress it down to maybe two foot long by two foot. It's like a, like a little square cube. Still weighs the same, and then when you open it up, it goes poof and spreads all up again. So, but a bale of hay when I moved over there 16 years ago cost $29 a bale for a 125 pound bale. And now, and now that I've left, I understand that it's pretty much almost doubled that. Oh. Uh, grain, grain, and everything is pretty much shipped over. Uh, everything is costs you more. Uh, veterinary costs are very expensive and even trying to find a place to keep your horses. If you keep your horse in pasture on the wet side, you're going to get rain rot. Uh, if you keep them on the dry side, then you have the problem with the, uh, like I said, it's like, I don't know if any, if you've been in Eastern Washington or Southern California, it's dry, hot, um, and it's, uh, hard on your horses over there too, having enough shade and uh, keeping enough moisture so your horse's feet don't just get all broken split because they dry out so much. So do you have a, a lot of people in Maui, Patty, do you have a lot of people that feed like pellets and cubes because of the hay yeah. cost? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But all that shipped in too. So it's right. not that much cheaper. I mean, you know, a bag of cubes might co- might chart might be like a couple dollars cheaper but it's still it's pound per pound you know because um they're not charged when they ship in they're not charged per square foot they're charged poundage got it so when you moved from maui to washington did you transport horses and when horses are transported from the islands to the mainland how is that primarily done no, I went, I took two horses from the mainland when I moved over to Maui and you either ship by boat or by plane. I'll never ship by boat again. My horses were on the water for seven. They were supposed to be on the water for four days. They were on the water for seven days. Wow. And they came to me pretty much had dropped like over a hundred pounds in their travels. It wasn't so much that they weren't feeding them. It's just the horses weren't eating and drinking well. And then uh, they were seasick. By, yes. And then when you ship by plane, though, they're in the air for four hours and they land in the big island because we don't have a big enough airport in Maui, but they land on the big island or uh, Oahu and um, it's four hours. They're, you know exactly what's going on with them. Um, it's great. Uh, definitely. But we'll then go- you have to boat them over <laughs> from those islands to Maui then. Yep. Okay. It's a, but that's only that's only a fourteen hour trip. Right. Oh, but they can still get seasick for the fourteen <laughs> hours. It's a lot. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but still, wow. you'll find most horses do better with that. Um, and there was uh, Kia was the one I used to ship with uh, from uh, Oahu to uh, uh, Maui, and she had like a Madison container. And she um, um, had stalls set up in it and water and everything and food. So it was kind of like an enclosed little barn inside of the shipping uh, boat. So it was a little bit more homey. A lot of people ship their horses actually open uh, things like a stock uh, trailer type thing. Sure. And they ship, ship them in something like that, and it's open to the elements. Ooh. Yeah, that would be a little harder, I would think, for sure. So tell us, Patty, about your horse journey. How did it, how'd you get started in it all? Well, when I was really young, um, uh, my mom and I were in a store, and there was a thing on the wall that said riding lessons. 
um, being offered at this stable. And I told my mom I wanted, <clears throat> I wanted to do it. And she was like, okay. <laughs> and we took some English writing lessons and then that program shut down. And then just a little bit after that, a new program opened up and I went there. I was about probably eight. And um, the second program I went to, they did everything. They did English, Western, jumping, gated horses. They did it all. So I was able to be exposed to all that. And I, of course, as soon as I was old enough, I was cleaning stalls and Actually, I was probably driving tractor at 12 <laughs> and uh, then continued on uh, working at that barn. And then as I got older, um, he had me doing a lot of team teaching, which was, I think, an awesome way to learn how to be a writing instructor is work with another writing instructor at the same time. And then eventually got to where he let me teach the beginners uh, on my own. And then uh, when I was 18, I hung my shingle out, you know, when I was thought I knew it all and he was young and immortal. And then later I figured out, I don't really know it all. <laughs> and now I think I'm 70 and I think I'm just finally getting the hang of this. So, uh, it, that is uh, true. Been a, Constantly learning yeah. all of us. <laughs> yes. So it's been a, quite a bit of a journey, but it's been fun. Um, but it's been, uh, um, some moving and starting new programs. I've started up five or six different programs, started with like maybe four or five students and then went up to 80 to a hundred students a week. So um, it's been interesting. (laughs) I wouldn't change it for the world. All of that experience is going to help with this topic today, because as you probably are fully aware, Patty, oh my goodness, are a lot of our dude ranch operations and our lesson barn programs having a heck of a time and our camps. I mean, it goes on and on finding good lesson horses right now because of everything going on. People are buying horses and they're um, keeping them for a long period of time and those types of things. So not only to those that maybe teach lessons out there, run a dude ranch or a camp or what have you, but also just for anybody looking for a horse, what are some recommendations that you have for folks to be able to find good horses? Well, a lot of it, um, putting the word out there, word of mouth. And if you know any horsemen or go to step, I encourage people if they don't have a lot of horse knowledge to definitely take lessons someplace lease a horse for a while so they learn how to take care of that horse to you know because a lot of people go well you know i can afford this well okay you can afford this but can you tell me when the horse is lame can you tell me when he has colic all those kinds of things so take lessons lease a horse learn all the ins and outs and then i tell people all the, and then i have people tell me they're going to keep their horse at their house and i go oh so you're never going to take a vacation again because uh, who's going to take care of that horse while you're gone um, so it, people don't always think through all the way through like they should. And I, I mean, I've had horses at my house and stuff and it's, it's, it's a lot to have it at your house. A lot of people think they're going to, they're going to ride more, not necessarily. There's still life is there. You still have work. You still have school. You still have other things you have to do. So you, not necessarily are you going to ride more if the horse is at your house. I know people who do, but I, in 50 years and thousands of students, I know a lot of people that have had horses at their house and didn't really ride any more than they kept it at a boarding stable. But when you're out there looking for a horse, uh, you definitely want to have a professional with you to help you. But the main thing is to just get the word out there. And it's amazing what pops up. I get calls all the time from people who want to like retire or semi-retire their horse to me, and I don't really have a facility anymore, but I do work at other stables. And uh, so I do have that option to pass those horses along if they're still usable. Um, and again, there are things you can live with and things you can't. Uh, the first thing I look at when I'm going out to look at a horse is their head. Everybody goes, oh, no, their legs. I go, no, no, I look at their head. Their head tells me their temperament. I can live with some lameness issues. If they have a bad temperament, I can't live with that. So the first thing I look at is that they need to have the big doe eyes, ideally, not always, but most of the time I need the big eyes. I need the broad between the four eyes, be able to get my hand in there, need to be able to get 
big space between the ears too, because that's where their brain is going to go. So if you have two ears that basically come out of the same hole, there's not a lot of brain area there. So your horse is not going to be very intelligent. And then I'm going to look at their face. If they have a dish face and they're a raven, great. If they have a dish face and they're another breed, I'm going to give it a second look. If they have a nice shaped nose, awesome. If they have like a moose nose, uh, most of those horses are kind of a little bit um, dull and not as trainable, I find. And the worst worst face um, head I look at is small pig eyes narrow between the ears and the eyes and a dish face with like a bulge between the eyes, like a, like you put a a plate on their forehead. It's like a bulge. And then they have a moose nose. Uh, But really you want to run from that horse. That horse is totally unpredictable. I have only dealt with maybe four or five of horses with heads like those. And every one of them was, I would call them schizophrenic. One day they're great to work with, and the next day they try and kill you, or they're super spooky, or there's there's just something wrong with them. And two of the horses literally tried to kill me. So I try and stay away from those horses. But if you start out with a fairly good head, and then you go to look at the rest of the horse's body, uh, their legs, and what why is the horse for sale? Is he for sale because he has training issues that you may be able to fix or you may not? Uh, or is it just lameness issues that maybe the horse needs joint supplements, injections, things like that, you might be able to live with that. So you have to kind of weigh out all those things when you're looking for a horse for your program or looking for a horse for yourself. Uh, Those are some great ideas. And I love the fact of you start with the head because you're right. So many people start with the feet and work up and start looking at confirmation that way. And the head does provide so many unique things like you just mentioned. Um, I wanted to throw this out there and I don't know if you have some other ideas too, Patty, in this vein, but CHA partners with ASPCA that has uh, the right horse. And the right horse, if you go to myrighthorse.org, O-R-G, you can find rehoming centered horses. Notice how I did not say rescue. Rehoming centered horses. And the reason why I said that is that rescue, unfortunately, tends to have a negative connotation in our equine space. Um, Sometimes they're hoarders, right, that have rescues, things like that. But these rehoming centers, why myrighthorse.org is good is that unlike maybe your rescue near you, that's not a part of them, myrighthorse.org all have trainers on staff and have to in order to be part of their program. So then these horse trainers are hopefully evaluating these horses and seeing if they might be useful for you as a riding horse, a trail horse, a camp horse, you know, a dude string horse, whatever the case may be. So just wanted to throw that out there for folks. And Patty, do you know of others like that that might exist? Well, in the past, I used to use actually a horse broker, which was great because she knew what I wanted. And what was nice about a horse broker sometime, and there's a bad connotation too with horse brokers are considered horse dealers or good and bad like anything else. <clears throat> but I had a horse broker that knew me. I knew her. She knew if she sent me a horse, I always had the horse on trial for 30 days. And she knew that at the end of 30, 30 days, <clears throat> if I didn't buy the horse, she would get it back better than she sent it to me. So we had a great re- relationship. Those those kind of horse brokers are kind of hard to find. Um, The other thing that I've used in the past, too, is uh, other stables. Again, um, there are other programs that maybe have, because I've sold horses out of my program, too, that weren't really best for my program, but were great in another program. So lots of time talking to, again, other stables, other camps. Uh, things like that, you find horses that have been ridden and gone through, and then they also most of the time tell you everything that's wrong with the horse or what is right about the horse. So that's that's a big, big plus. And I have one rescue program that I work with because, again, they have the same thing like you're talking about. Uh, I love the right horse 
program thing. I haven't used them because I haven't needed to. Um, but I love the idea of it, having trainers on staff that are working with these horses so they can tell you, yes, this horse would be great for your program or this horse needs just a one person. They're a one person horse. There are those horses out there that just kind of need one person, multiple riders. They, they just, they start to have a bit of a burnout. There's too many different people on them and they just, it, to me, I, I call it like dogs. You can have the kid's dog that anybody can, you know, they dress them up and put them in the baby carriage and take them around the block and the dog is fine. And you have the other dog that the kid walks in the room and the dog runs away and hides. It's not a kid's dog. It's, you know, it's a one, basically a one person dog, maybe two person, whereas the same thing with horses. I have those horses where you could do anything to them, have multiple people ride them and you know, and, and do anything to them and paint them up and dress them up and put costumes on them. And they're great. And then you have the other horses that basically one rider, maybe two, if you have multiple riders a day, they just start to get irritated. They start showing, picking up bad habits and, um, they just, they don't do well with multiple riders. So, And that's the perfect transition, Patty, because our next topic is how to avoid burnout. So if they are horses like that, that are starting to get burnout maybe, or like you said, just don't handle well the multiple rider thing. With all of your experiences that you've had and all the horses that you've owned and worked with, what are some of the different ways that you have dealt with burnout in your horses? Okay. There, I call it, there's like, too far ends. Uh, there's the little burnout where the horse just needs you to be a little bit more consistent with them. And there's the big burnout where the horse just can't handle it anymore. In my many years and hundreds of horses I've worked with, most of the time, if you make sure that you're consistent with your handling of that horse and make sure what I'm seeing, even in, I've seen it in my own program where a horse became nippy to leaders um, kicking out at side uh, walkers and things like that. It's just because there being too much people and too many different people that really don't know how to lead properly or don't know how to sidewalk properly and things. And the horse just gets, I call it a little bit pissy, like back off people, give me some room. And they're, they're trying to hold lead ropes too tight. They're trying to micromanage these horses. Uh, actually, CHA had a really good article in one of their newsletters. I think it was a couple years ago. Maybe it was a year ago. And it somebody had asked about that. And everything that they put in that newsletter article was awesome. It was exactly the same thing that I had experienced, was the horse would just get upset about all these different people handling them that really didn't know, weren't doing it consistently weren't doing it. Like when you get in a car, you got to push on the gas, you got to push on the brake. There is no halfway. There is no, oh, I think I'm going to press on the gas today and it's going to stop the car. With a horse, you can kind of mess up those cues. You can kind of like when you're supposed to be leading the horse, you're supposed to be giving him a little bit of rope and you're supposed to be using your hand going forward and back and not like over pulling on him and pushing him and holding his face and things like that. And the horse becomes agitated about all that. Um, Then, you know, you need to train. The hardest thing is training all of your people that come in because I have a program now that I work with that we have a lot of volunteers, which are great. I love buying volunteers, but a lot of them don't have the same training and I have to watch them very closely that they aren't shortening up on the lead rope and aren't leading the horse incorrectly, even though some of them have a little bit of horse knowledge. <clears throat> but as we all know, sometimes a little knowledge is worse than having no knowledge. So <laughs> you need to be consistent. And that's what I see a lot of horses that get upset and get um, agitated and get burnout is because either the riders or the ho- or the leaders are not handling them correctly. And with riders, we got to make sure that we keep our cues all the same and that we're not constantly, as we say, fussing with the horse. I've been and watched instructors that get a new rider on and they start talking to them about 
getting the horse on contact and getting them around and all the kind of, I said, can't keep his heels down. <laughs> Let's work with getting your rider confident and strong and balanced and uh, being able to do independent aids before we ask them to do something like putting the horse, collecting them or putting them quote on the bit type thing. Um, and then trying to make sure that your riders all do it the same and not have multiple um, cues, I find. Um, if somebody, like when I want my horse to go faster, I cluck. I want him to trot, I cluck. When I want him to canter, I kiss. But I've been to programs that kind of do it the backwards or they only, they don't use any voice commands at all. <clears throat> and my problem with the program that doesn't use any voice cam- commands at all is you have, again, a rider who's, what, five years old and how long are their legs? And then you have a rider that's, you know, 35 years old and they're tall and long and their strength is different. So you have all these different riders cueing the horse, like with their legs, but each leg is in a different place. So basically the cue is a little bit different. Same thing with their pulling back on the reins, depending on the height of their body, they can be pulling lower or higher and I, I find that the more consistent you kind of um, use a voice command along with your uh, physical command, I find horses last longer. Uh, I've had horses that have been in my program since they were five and they lived to be 35 and we're still being used almost every day in the program and we're fine. And then I've had horses... Um, there still are, again, a few of those horses that no matter how consistent you are, how careful you are, they just can't handle multiple riders on them. But I find that less true as long as you're consistent with your handling of your horses, brushing, saddling, leading, and riding. The more consistent you are, and I feel using the voice command along with their physical man- command helps the horse know, oh, you want me to try. I get it. Oh, you want me to canter. I get it. Um, just like when the horse is on the lunge line, that's all you use is voice commands. And your Patty, horse these eyes are good. Commands. Yeah, these eyes are the I, these ideas are very good when it comes to cues. You know, some people probably think avoid burnout, take the arena horse out on the trail, which is also good. Uh, change up oh, its yeah. discipline yeah. a little bit. You know, let it do other things. Yep. Uh, maybe do some groundwork, yep. not just riding work. You know, whatever. But yep. Yep. Thinking about it from a concept like you're mentioning is also very good for the lesson barn program, the camp program, or the individual horse owner to be able yep. to really think about their consistency as well. So thank you for those good thoughts. Yeah. And I do believe in doing other things. My my horses do it all. They do English, Western, jumping, trail, barrel racing, whatever. I mean, I've I've had my horses compete in all those. Uh, and a lot of people think, well, a barrel racer can't compete in Western pleasure. Yes, he can. If he's trained properly. Uh, my horse, my horses that did Western pleasure, dressage, English and barrel racing would qualify for the nationals in Augusta, Georgia every year. And also got championship ribbons in Western pleasure dressage. Uh, the dressage scores were in the seventies and eighties. I think those are pretty good. And, um, also English winning year end awards and that too, your horse can do it all. It's a matter of, again, being consistent and not allowing to me, allowing some bad habits, like a horse that comes into the barrel, that has to be led into the barrel ring. There's a reason why he has to be led into the barrel ring. Part of that is rider, but part of that is he's been allowed to be stupid. And so he becomes, each time he comes, he figures that's okay. And I, I've always trained all my horses. No, that's not okay. You have to, you walk, you can, you can run into the arena if it's set up like that, like a, uh, they have a run before, but if it's an arena where you need to go into the arena, my horse needs to walk into the arena and then go. But again, it's a matter of making sure that everybody's being consistent with the cue and not allowing those bad habits to continue and be get worse. 
I agree. So Patty, we're out of time. So how can folks contact you? They can obviously find you on the CHA website. Is that the best way for them to find you if they want to know more? Yeah, they can get me there. I'm also on Facebook. I'm on, uh, it's Patty Bogart hyphen Ted. There's not too many of those on there. (laughs) Okay. Well, very good. Well, thanks so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate you talking about this very important topic. Well, thank you, Christy. And I appreciate talking with you guys. Yeah, you have a good day. Our next guest on the show we're excited to have, her name is Megan Steele, and she is a certified equine massage therapist and Equitate practitioner. She started her equine career in 15 with a bachelor's degree in equine science from Colorado State University and is now an equine massage instructor and an Equitate affiliate educator. She owns two horses and works on my horses as my masseuse. Hi, Megan. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great. How are you guys? Good. So good to have you on the show today. I am so excited to be here. This is going to be so much fun. So let's start. Tell everyone your horse journey. How did it all begin? My horse journey probably started very similar to every other little horse-obsessed girl. So I started uh, taking riding lessons when I was about eight years old. And then about four years after that, I got my first horse. And another couple of years after that, we got my second horse for the family. And those are the, the two current horses we still have. Um, after becoming a horse owner, I knew that I wanted to have a career focusing in horses. So that's when I decided to go to CSU to study equine science. And during my time there, I worked at the Equine Orthopedic Research Center and completed a couple of different internships focusing in rehabilitation modalities and also worked under one of the doctors at the Orthopedic Research Center to do an independent study and help out with my senior honors thesis focusing in rehab modalities and other therapies. So I knew that was where I wanted to direct my career at that point. So then after graduating from CSU, I found the school that I now teach at, which is Rocky Mountain School of Animal Acupressure and Massage. And I gained all three uh, certifications in equine massage there to start my own business. Well, I'll tell you, I'm excited to have found you because I sit on the advisory council for CSU for Equine Sciences. So it's so good, you know, when there's some alum from there that are doing good things. And tell us a little bit more, you know, our whole topic today is on avoiding burnout. And I just feel like alternative plans for your horse, like getting a massage every now and then to keep their body good, going to the chiropractor every now and then, just like we should do for our bodies is so important. So what For those that are listening who might be really interested in becoming an equine massage therapist themselves, what are the different steps that are needed to jump into that career? That is a great question. Um, It is somewhat surprisingly easy to to get into the process of becoming an equine massage therapist. Uh, So, for example, at the school I teach at, um, since I'm one of the instructors there, I know the whole rundown on how to help students get through the whole process. We have three different levels of equine massage. So the first would be the introduction to therapeutic massage, which is the class I teach. And then we have sports massage and then also advanced massage if students are interested in continuing to perfect their skills or also focus into a career path that is maybe more sport horse, performance horse geared, things like that. Um, Each level of uh, those classes would either be taught in person and you can attend about a week-long class with an instructor, or we also offer correspondence classes for those students who are not based in Colorado or who need to take time and and go through the program a little bit slower with their own pace uh, via an online program. And uh, the classroom book work uh, style of, of learning there, the main focus is there would be understanding the basics of massage. So what it is and what we're doing and the different strokes we teach the students. We obviously have a very heavy focus on anatomy, pathology, injuries, uh, things like that, just to understand the body that uh, the students will be working on for the horse. And then we also dive into a little bit about some biomechanics in the sports massage class. We obviously have to talk about business to help students set up their business and feel very prepared as we throw them out into the world to do what I'm doing now. And then we also um, discuss a little bit about other therapies and other modalities that they might want to continue to practice as they learn and grow and add more tools to their toolbox. So that's just the 
in class portion. And then from there on, it's actually fairly simple. And we send the students out to go get some real hands-on experience and work with some future clients and complete a couple case studies. And then once they send their case studies in to be graded, they're pretty much certified and ready to start their business. And I love that you're not only certified in equine massage, but you also do something about Equitape. Explain to us a little bit more about what Equitape is and how to become a practitioner in that. Yes, that is so much fun. That has been one of my really cool things I've enjoyed adding into my business. So Equitape is uh, pretty much like any kinesiology tape that uh, a lot of people see. It was very popular in the past Summer Olympics that we just saw. It's just all the fun tape patterns all over the athletes' shoulders and backs and things like that. So um, what's really great about Equitape, it, it is a kinesiology tape that is specifically designed for a use on the horse's coat because it has a more advanced adhesive that simply allows it to stick to the hairy, somewhat dirty horse at times. <laughs> But the uh, main goal that you use for Equitape would be to increase circulation and also reduce pain due to a decompression effect that is created by the stretchiness of the tape. So when you stretch the tape and stick it on the body, there is a natural recoil that is created, which helps to lift the hair coat, lift the skin, and lift the other superficial soft tissues in the body under that area to simply create space and allow blood to flush into that area and up, apply a natural healing effect by increasing circulation there. So I know that not all people like massage. My husband's like, oh, stay away from me. I don't want to be touched. No. And especially not really deep massage. Like, oh, it hurts. It makes me feel worse. So let's go ahead and dive in because I'm sure not every horse you've touched likes it necessarily. So what are some stories of uh, the good and bad and the ugly about clients and their horses? Of course, without stating any real names, you want to dive into some <laughs> specifics. That'd be fun. That, oh, of course. That's always fun. That is uh, one of the, the best parts of my job is getting to meet the uh, big variety of horses that I get to play with because not all horses are doing the same jobs. They, they all have their own personality. So that's very, very fun to, uh, to get to meet them and try to understand how I can best help that horse while also communicating with that horse to understand what they are interested in and more so what they are not interested in with the massage. So some of my really fun clients, I love when they completely just melt into the massage and they just fall asleep and close their eyes and give me these big yawns. And just, like I said, they're just, they melt, they become putty in my hands, which is so fun to play with. But I definitely have had some horses that massages, maybe not their favorite body work. They would prefer maybe acupuncture or Cairo or something like that. But there was this really fun mare that I worked with years and years ago, and she she was so cute and just so uh, so spicy, so opinionated, where anytime I'd move from one area of her body into the next, she'd try to get all nippy and fussy and just be like, don't do that. I don't like that. But then as soon as I started more of the massage sequence, like moving from her neck to her back, as soon as I was in her back, she'd start yawning and licking and chewing and be the happiest horse ever. And then I'd move from her back to her ribs and she'd try to nip and bite again. <laughs> She was just way too comical watching her like, don't do that, but do it. I actually enjoy it. And they do that. You know, um, I'll throw in my horse. I have an Appaloosa. Most of you on the show know because, you know, we've, we talk about my horses sometimes. And he is very opinionated. And uh, we are working on a, um injury with him and trying to get him through some stuff. And he is the one that licks and chews and pushes into Megan and goes, oh, this feels so good. It's hilarious to watch him. And he has big old mule ears, my Appaloosa does. And he always wears his uh, heart on his sleeve. You can just tell instantly how he feels. And he loves it. It's fun to watch him. Very fun. So uh, let's jump into um, the whole avoiding burnout in our animals, whether it's somebody's personal horse, camp horses, lesson horses, dude string horses. Do you feel that regular massage is something that will help avoid burnout? How often should they get it? What do you feel about all that? That is uh, the my, my number one question I get from so many of my clients is, pretty much will my horse benefit from massage? And my easy answer is yes, every horse will benefit from massage in some way, simply because if a horse is being asked to, to do a job regularly and just repeat it, repeat it, no matter what that job is via a lesson horse 
or if they're actively competing in high-level dressage or jumping, things like that, they all will have a level of burnout and need different ways to help process and recover from that. So specifically for lesson horses, I kind of feel like they fall into two main categories where one of them is like that typical lesson horse that is teaching the beginning rider just to walk and trot along a ring. And they just do circles and circles and circles and get um, more so more bored about the job they are doing. So they may not have a huge physical component where they're dealing with crazy heavy tension patterns, but the massage can be so helpful for them mentally to reduce stress and just help them process the multiple rider after rider after rider where the horse is like, okay, I think we've done 500 circles today. I'm getting a little bored with this. Um, so that's kind of the typical lesson horse. But then um, after knowing Christie's horses and getting to play with them, they fall into sort of my other category of, of lesson horses or a more typical workhorse where um, Christie's horses teach uh, little kids all the way up through riders who she, she has had take years and years of lessons. So they are no longer just doing the little walk trot around the arena and are now doing lead changes and maybe incorporating some jumps and patterns and more advanced elements of riding for, for those riders who are still learning new things. So those horses are now, in addition to using their minds a lot to still help train new people how to ride them, they are using their bodies a lot more and can develop some really heavy tension patterns. So they can very much so benefit from regular massage work to just help them feel best in their bodies and their minds to keep doing the job we are asking of them. Yes. And my horses love it. And I'll tell you, I go to the chiropractor every single month because it helps me. And I go and she'll always say, what is your pain level? And I'll say, I don't have any. I am literally here for preventative medicine as I age. And as I do more, I just really want to do this. And I feel the same way about our horses, especially those of us that each. We have to invest in them and we have to invest in preventative care such as massage and chiropractic and other things that they might need. So it's uh, really good, Megan, to have you on the show today and to tell us a little bit more about what you do. Um, how can folks that are listening right now in Colorado, and maybe there's some out-of-state questions and things, how can they best contact you? Do you have a website, a Facebook page? What's best? Uh, my business name is Flights of Angels Equine Therapy, LLC, and I have a website, Facebook page, and Instagram page all under that name. So that is the best way to hunt me down via any social media website accounts that uh, viewers might have or listeners might have. <laughs> Very good. Well, I just really appreciate you being on today, Megan. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was so much fun. I was so happy to, to share a little insight into the world of equine massage. Well, all the time, people see me wearing my kinesiology tape on my knees when I walk around in the summertime ah, here. That's right. In Florida with your shorts on. Yeah. With my shorts on, my shorts on. And they go, well, does that stuff really work? And I say, yeah, it's fabulous. And they go, well, what does it do? And I'm going, I don't know, but my knees hurt less. <laughs> it's magical. And I'm so glad Megan explained it to us because I wear it on my low back. That's where my pain is, my low back and down my sciatica. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, when I go to the chiropractor, she's like, it's time for the tape. I always smile. It's good. <laughs> Like I, the tape. I didn't know you could use kinesiology tape with sciatica issues. There you go. Oh, it helps so much on my low back. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, I'm going to have to Google that. So now I understand why Equitape is different because if um, I always wondered, because I've, se I've seen videos and pictures of people using kinesiology tape on horses. And I always wondered about that. So they use a special sticky stuff on the back so that it can be effective despite the fact that there's a layer of hair in there. Yes. And I would say, especially right in the winter months, when some of us that don't blanket and keep our horse under lights and stalls, they are fuzzy, yet you could still use the Equitape. So that's kind of cool. Interesting. Well, then they have the dirt issue, though. I might have to wash some dirt off. <laughs> Prior to, yes. It would probably stick a little better if it doesn't have the layer of mud in yes. between it and what it's trying to do. It doesn't yes. matter what adhesive they use, it's not sticking to the mud. <laughs> no, and probably you don't want the mud to get the benefit. You want the horse, so you got to go get that layer off. Get that layer off. Well, sp speaking of people asking you questions as you wander around locally, did I hear about some kind of an event happening sort of in your backyard? 
Oh my gosh. January for us is the National Western Stock Show month. It is 16 days of stock show. So every kind of livestock you can think of, including horses, are a part of this deal. And it's it's unbelievable. So much fun. So I just went to the Grand Prix last night. And that's so much fun to watch those horses jumping those big fences. Um, My son is showing poultry this weekend. My husband, this is really interesting, our neighbors, and he's been on the show before, um, has Belgian draft horses. And he uh, works them and they do wagon rides in the fall and the winter and all kinds of things. Well, he has entered in um, the feed team race and in the feed team race, two carts start off with their um, horses hitched. You have a driver that's going to go through and weave cones and do stuff. And then at each stop, there's hay that the swamper, which is the person in back, has to put the hay on the sled and then make sure all the hay stays on the sled as they're making the tight turns throughout things. And the one that gets over the line, the fastest wins. And my husband gets to be the one that lifts the hay onto the sled this year. So that'll be fun to watch. (laughs) Looking forward to that. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, I think I'd rather be the driver. I don't want to be the guy chucking the bales. Oh, my gosh. I said to my husband, I go, use your core. But, you know, he's an electrician by trade. He's very fit. He's very in shape. But I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I go, wear gloves. I, mean, I can't even imagine doing that. It would rip me up. But he's like, oh, yeah. I got it, wife, now, he says. I'm like, all right. Go. Please please tell me they use the wimpy little two-string bales. They do. Oh, shoo. They do. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness. Yeah. But the only problem is sometimes the whippy two string bales break and then oh, oh yeah, if they're too loose the and they, well, do they give uh-huh. you like do they give you like a time penalty or something if you break your bale or are you just eliminated? No, it's all based on, you know, um those that lose the le- the least amount because <gasps> gotcha. Yeah, I mean if everyone doesn't go clean in the jumper round, they're still a winner, right? So it's kind of the same thing. If if somebody goes clean, they're going to do much better. But otherwise, it's based on, you know, how much they lose. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. You managed to get back with three whole bales. That guy came, lost one on the way. Yeah. Correct. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. So fun. Yeah. Yeah. To have something like that in your backyard must be pretty cool. Yeah. It's literally like a 25-minute drive. So it's during the 16 days. I think I'll end up going seven times. Wow. I've only ever been to the stock show. I went to one event one night and it was a hoot. I really enjoyed it a lot. I had never been to anything like that before. And it was, it was a real hoot. Yeah. Looking forward to it. I just wanted to share that, especially for folks that are in Colorado, you probably already know about it, but it goes until this coming up Sunday. So that's exciting. Woohoo! Well, if you want to find out more about today's topics and guests, you're going to find that at horsesinthemorning.com. We'll have all the links that you need to have. And you can follow us on Facebook. That's right. If you haven't done so already, just search for Horses in the Morning. And our Twitter feed is Horse Radio. And if you have not done so already, please download the free Horse Radio Network app for your iPhone or your Android. That way you will never miss an episode. They will automatically download to your phone where you can listen to them that listen to them because your phone is great for listening to podcasts, less so for telephone calls. As we have said today numerous times to our guests as they come on. I think that's so funny because it's so true. Um, And then for those of you that are interested still in our certifications and things, it's www.cha.horse, H-O-R-S-E. Done deal. 